At this time, children, you may be dismissed to go down to junior church. At this time, now, other going, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two is where we'll be in just a few moments. Acts chapter two. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, we come to you this morning, um, desperately needing you. Lord, we are flawed people. We are sinful people. Lord, everyone in this room this week at some point tried to live their life according to their own way and failed. So Lord, we come needing you. Lord, as we go into this message, as we talk about church and the importance of church in our lives and the purpose of church, Lord, I pray that you help us to hear, to understand. Lord, I pray you help me as the messenger to share the words that you have for me to share. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we're going to continue our series uh, through this book called I Am Going. Uh, today is, uh, it, it, I would say today is more of a uh, teaching time. I may do some preaching from time to time, but it's more of a teaching as we talk about uh, the topic of today is I am going, but specifically with my church. Um, church is something, may, I may ask this question, how many of you have um, been uh, involved in church your entire life? If you just raise your hand. If you've been involved in church your entire life. Okay, look around, that's the majority. Okay, I say that to say this, is that those of you that just raised your hand, um, you really don't understand people that haven't, didn't raise their hand. Um, and I'm not saying that uh, in, in to put you down. I'm saying that about myself as well. It's, it's something. And, and so when we begin to talk about the church, most of us here today are regular church attenders and have been in church for a long time. You think like a church person. You understand like a church person. Even, even the terms we use... Um, are, are things that as church people you hear and, you, and you, you get immediately, but yet for many people, coming to church can be an intimidating thing and it can be a confusing thing. Let me give you some examples on phrases that we use in church. Now what I want you to do just for the next few moments, two things. First of all, I want you to do your best not to be offended. I'm not trying to offend. But the second thing I want you to do is I want you to think like someone who's never been in church ever. We use terms such as this. How many of you have ever heard the term that someone was on fire for God? Any of you ever heard that term? That's a scary thing, isn't it? I mean, imagine if you have never been to church and you're like, Really? Like they were burning? Did anyone try to put them out? What did they do? Did did they die? I mean, that sounds like a scary thing. Now, we understand the idea of being on fire for God as a person. It's a lingo that we use in church to talk about the idea of someone who is, who is passionate about God, someone who is, loves God so much that they are just doing everything in their life they can to possibly serve God. That's the idea. Well, let's talk about another one. How about this one? And I, again, I mean no, no disrespect. What, what do you think of when I say washed in the blood? Now, it's a song. It's, it's something that we've said. In fact, just a, a little bit ago, at the beginning of the service, uh, Pastor Will was up here pre- praying, and he said, 
praying that thankful for that the, the blood of Jesus covers us. Now, now we get what that means. It's a beautiful picture of of, of of speaks of the marvelous work done on the cross by Jesus Christ that saved us from our sins. Yet, think about that for a moment. That's a really that's a, almost a if if you have never been in church, that's almost a horror film. Say, why are you saying this? By no means am I trying to be disrespectful, and by no means am I telling you not to say these phrases. But I want you to think about the church and the culture we have created and ask yourself, how is church seen by those who have never been? And I want you to ask yourself, what is it that we are doing as a church that um, is can be confusing? And I'm, again, I'm not saying we don't do those things, but understanding is so important for us. It is estimated that 51% of Americans attend church at least once a month. What does that mean? That means 49% of Americans don't attend church on a consistent basis. Now, many of them, another, uh, another, another amount of them would say that they go to church uh, once a year, twice a year, three times a year, and so they would consider themselves church people. Now, there's another group uh, that's probably about 20, uh, it's estimated it's about 20% of Americans say they used to go to church all the time, but don't anymore. But what we still are left with is just a large group of people who have never been in church in our, in our nation, what is considered a Christian nation. And so in order to reach those unchurched people, we need to understand how they view church. There was a survey done of unchurched people, and they asked them questions about what they thought about church. And it was, it was interesting, 72% of unchurched people said that the reason that they don't go to church is because church is full of hypocrites. Now, I'll address that later on in this message. But 72%. Yet, here's the interesting thing. So you may think 72% are saying, hey, I don't go because of hypocrites. But in that survey, it was also revealed that 78% of unchurched people said that they would love to have a conversation about Jesus Christ with a Christian. 78% of unchurched people said that. Which tells me something interesting. It tells me that they are actually searching for authentic Christianity. And someone who will be real with them. And tell them about Jesus Christ. 72% of unchurched people believe that there is a higher power. Now, they may call him God, they may call him something else, but 72% of unchurched people believe in some sort of being. Now, 61% of, uh, of those people say that um, gods or spiritual beings, every one of them, they're all the same, which we would disagree with. But 70, 60, excuse me, 61%. Now, here's an interesting stat. 79% of unchurched people believe that church today is more about organized religion and less about loving God and loving others. 79%. That's kind of an unbelievable thought. But the majority of people out there right now who don't attend church believe that what we do in here is just about organized religion. It's not really about loving God and loving others. What are we giving off? Last stat. 86% of unchurched people say that they believe they can have a relationship with God without ever going to church. 86%. 
Which, by the way, as we go through this, I hope you will see, is completely wrong. God established the church as as the means of growth for a believer. So we need to understand how unchurched people see church before we can really reach them, before we can really take the gospel to them and, and share with them. Because oftentimes we go out into the world and we say, yes, I want to share the gospel. We go with, out with all of our, our, the way that we think and we try to impact people that think nothing like you and think nothing like me. And so we go and we want to share the gospel with them and we begin to, and we go, why don't you get what I'm saying? And, and what you're doing is you're looking at someone who doesn't even understand you. They don't think like you. So before we, but before we can really under, reach them and understand how to reach them, we need to first understand what is the church all about? Why are we here today? Why uh, did God establish the church? In your notes, you'll see there's uh, four points that we're going to look at. First one is, what is a church? First, I want to take a few moments and discuss what a church is not. Sometimes uh, we will discuss church in a way that church was never intended to be discussed. Okay, first of all, and these are just some thoughts here. First of all, church is not a building. Uh, We will say things like, I am going to stop at church for a few minutes. I have to drop something off at church. Are you saying that you're going to drop something off at the group of assembled people? No, what you're saying is you're saying I'm going to drop it off the building. Again, that is... That it's, I'm not saying it's wrong to say that because I think for clarity we understand what we're talking about when we say I'm going to the church building. But that is not the idea of Scripture uh, in Scripture of church. This building is not the church. It's not. The second thing the church is not, church is not a denomination. I remember someone who, uh, uh, who, who attended this church at one point saying, he used to say this to me on, on a regular basis. Um, he used to say, and, and there was a little bit of joking in him, but there was a little bit of not. He used to say to me, well, uh, when we get to heaven, we'll realize that the only people there are Baptists. That is not accurate. The church is not about a denomination or, or a... Uh, in that sense. There are, there are plenty of people out there who actually believe different than us in some ways who will be in heaven with us. Now, that does not mean that we are okay with the differences. Okay? And, and that, that's a whole other discussion. But the idea is, I will one day worship God standing next to someone who, who, who is a, a Lutheran. Or, or possibly someone who is a, uh, a, a Presbyterian. I want you to understand, church is not a denomination. It's not. So what do you think of when you hear the word church? What does that word mean? I said to turn to Acts, and I'm just going to read just a few verses, because Acts chapter 2 is kind of the foundation of the church. It's kind of where all things began when, it, we, when we talk about church. In the Old Testament, things were done differently. When Jesus Christ came and, and He changed all that, suddenly now things were done different. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the beginnings of the church and really the, the foundation of what we as a church should be doing. And He says there, and they devoted themselves to the, the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I am not going to dwell on this whole passage. We're going to talk about one of the verses later on. Uh, but we went through this quite a bit when we went through uh, the, the, over there the signs, the four purposes of our church a couple years ago. And, uh, but what is it that a church is to do? Now, when we think about the word itself, church, there are actually in Scripture, there are four uses of the word church. You see those uh, here on, on the screen. First of all is the local church. Oftentimes in Scripture, when it talks about that, it's talking about a specific body of believers in a locale. Okay? You see there in, in, in 1 Corinthians, this is an example of that. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. The word here is referred to assembly of people in a particular place, and in that case, it's Corinth. We see other places that it's mentioned as well. They're, they're throughout. Churches like church, the church in Philippi, the church in Ephesus, and the church in Colossae. And we go on and on. We see all these churches that are mentioned. Those are local churches. We are a local church. We are First Baptist of Mishawaka. And uh, we're a local assembly. Now, back uh, at this time, in most cases, there was only one church in the city. Today it's different. We understand that. But we are still a local church. The second usage of church in the New Testament is a house church. If you look there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, it says, And the churches of Asia send you green and Quilla and Prisca together with the church in their house. These two people uh, had a church in their home. Now, numerous times throughout the Bible, the writers spoke of church gatherings in a house. This is actually where most of the mentions of church took place. There's a couple times where it talks about the meeting in the temple. Uh, but most of the time when we see the mention of a church takes pl- taking place, it is a house church. Again, it is not the importance of this building. It's the importance of people assembling. And that, that's why we uh, love Growth Group. Because it's, a, it's the church still meeting, not in this building, but yet we're meeting to worship God, to glorify God, and to grow in God. And so uh, we see the mention of house church. Uh, the third one is a collection of churches. Uh, numerous places in the Bible, the writers will, will talk about a group of churches. You see here in Revelation, it says, uh, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. We see this with John in Revelation. Peter has this in, in 1 Peter. Uh, Paul also, even though Paul's books sometimes are addressed to one church, like uh, it'll just say to the church at Ephesus, yet the intention was for that book to be passed to the other churches that were, that were a part of this group. And so it's a collection of churches. The final use of the word church in the Bible is the universal church. Um, this, this is a term referring to the church around the nations, the church as a whole. Um, sometimes I will call this the big C church. It's the church. Um, and uh, meaning it's more than just about First Baptist. It's about the fact that the church exists outside of this building as well. Okay? 
We see that mentioned in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, and he puts all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him as the head over all things to the church. This is not to just First Baptist. This is to all of those who follow Christ, all of those who are children of God. That's, an, that's a, a very bonding phrase for believers in our world today, and it should be. The local church, First Baptist Church, is the avenue through which God works. But one day we will all gather, and, and, and I love this thought, one day we will all gather to worship God across nations, peoples, languages, times, and even denominations. This is why for me I love personally taking mission trips. I, I love being in places in, in across the globe whether it's in our country or in other countries around the world, and you begin to worship God together. And, and I know there's been times when I've been in uh, other countries. I, I remember the last time uh, we went to, two years ago, we went to Romania, and I remember being in Romania. I do not speak Romanian. Not even, okay, I, I can think of one word, uh, pace, which is the greeting. That's about the only Romanian word I can think of. But we would sit there and worship, and uh, man... I didn't know I was singing, but I knew they did. And they were singing praise to God. And the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 7, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hand. And what did they do? They worshipped God. The idea of the universal church is that one day all of us will come together and we will be all one church. But today we're specifically talking about Little C Church, the local church. We want to talk about that and what is the local church. There's three ways I want to look at this. First of all, I want to look at four descriptions of the church. If you read the book, you saw that this that throughout history, his, uh, theologians have discussed what makes a church a church. In other words, what are the descriptive words that should describe what we're talking about when we talk about the church? Uh, this book talks about four descriptive words, and the author gets it from a, uh, a council, a church council that met about 300 years after Christ. So this is pretty old. And, and this is what the council wrote. They said this, We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Now, if you did not read the book, and if you just heard what I said, you might be saying, I doesn't, something doesn't sound right there. So let me explain. He, they said this, We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And I stand here saying I agree with that. What does that mean? There's four aspects, and I'm, I'm going to change the wording a bit to make it clear. First of all is unity. He says, it said there, we believe in one. We believe in unity. The, the body of Christ is to be unified. Now, where do we get our unity? Um, and this is not in your notes, but I think there's, four, there's a combination of four things that brings about our unity. The first one is, is our source. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit we have all bap- we were all baptized in, in, into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You know the bonding feature of, of a believer is that we all have God. You know? 
If you're here today and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you would call yourself a believer or a Christian, and the Holy Spirit is working and guiding in you. And you know what's crazy about that? It's the same Holy Spirit that's working and guiding in you. It's the ha- same Holy Spirit that's working and guiding in, 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 some, in everyone in this room that's called upon the name of the Lord. And it's the same Holy Spirit that's working and guiding in those in, in Africa, in Brazil. It's the same Holy Spirit that's working and guiding in people in different parts of this city that are going to different churches today. That is what unifies us. But specifically in this church here, that is what should unify us. Our source is the same. And it should be what brings us together. But, but secondly, not only is our source the same, but our, our, our views are the same, or should be. The Apostle uh, Paul was talking about that. And he says in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about what the purpose of the church is, and he said that, he gives, uh, that God gives apostles and prophets and teaching and teachers and all for the purpose of building up the church. And then he says this, when are we building up the church for? He says, uh, until we obtain, and he says specifically this, until we obtain to a unity of faith and of knowledge in God. In other words, that, that what is our unity based on? Our unity is based on faith in God, but it's also based on knowledge in God. And that means that we all in, uh, we, in, we pursue uh, God based on the knowledge of who He is and it brings us together. Philippians says this, Paul says in Philippians that we are to have one mind. We're to think the same. See, why is there disunity in churches today? And I'm not specifically talking about ours, but, but at times there may be. Why is there disunity today? Because we think differently. You say, well, of course we're going to think differently. I mean, there's not a single person in this room that thinks the same way I do, and that's probably a good thing when we talk about general life. But when we talk about God and His Word, and as we allow the Spirit to work in us, when it comes to the core truths of Scripture, there should be unity. The Bible tells us we are to have one mind. So our unity comes because of our source. It comes views. But our unity also comes because of our affections. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. As difficult it is for diverse people to do, the experience of Christian unity includes affectionate love, not just sacrifice for people you don't like. It's not just, okay, I need to be unified with that person. You know, here's the reality. I can't, I can't stand them. But Scripture says I'm going to be unified with them. No, it actually tells us in the Bible that we are to love one another with brotherly affection. Do you know what affection is? I mean, think about those things that you love. Some of you have an affection for food. Some of you have an affection for cars. Some of you have an affection for... Those are the things that, man, you talk about, you want. And that's how we're to interact. So what unifies us is our love. Our love. And then finally, what unifies us is our aims, our goals. Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, 
humbly loving unity is designed by God to have, have common goals. And what is the common goals of the church that unite us? The common goals of the church that unite us is a witness to the world and a proclamation of the glory of God. You know what? You might not be- agree completely with everything that this church does or says, but that unity of, hey, but our goal is to proclaim the gospel to the world and to, to, and to exalt the name of God. That brings us together. So we are to be one. We are to be united. But secondly, we are to be holy. We are to be holy. The meaning of the word church is, is simple. It's a, it's a Greek word, um, ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. It's an assembly of people, us, that are, are saved, that are called out. Now, the question is, what are we called out from? If we're called out, that means you're called out from something into something. Okay? The, it, and that is clear in Scripture. The Bible says we're to be called out from the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to love the people of the world, but not love the world's ways. In other words, we as a church are to be separate. We looked at this a few weeks ago when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says there, but he, as he who has called you is holy, be all, you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are to be separate as a church, as a body, that we are to be holy. Now, I, I'm talking to you specifically as a person, but I'm talking to us as a church. Are, are we as a church holy? we set apart? Are we different? Remember what I said earlier? The number one reason why unchurched people do not come to church is that they believe that church is full of hypocrites. Now, I want to respond two ways to that. First of all, I want to say this. I I, I don't agree with that statement, and, and here's why. I think a lot of times that why Christians are called hypocrites is because we sin. <laughs> I, I remember one time talking to a guy and he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I would go to church, but man, I have a neighbor who's a Christian and they're bad. You're right, they are. But I believe that why we come to church is because we understand we are bad. We understand we are sinners. We understand that we are broken without Jesus Christ. And so we come to church because we need Him. And so I, I, I want to respond because I, I, I don't believe that being a sinner makes you a hypocrite. Being a sinner and being unrepentant about your sin does. Being a sinner and being okay with it and not wanting to change does make you a hypocrite. If you proclaim that you are not, that you are right with God. Because the second part is, I, want, I, I do believe that many Christians do not live as holy as we should. We get comfortable with our sin. We excuse it. But God wants His church to be different. To be a set-apart assembly, set apart from the world to Godliness. And so we are to be holy. The third word that was used was, uh, it says we are to be one, we are to be holy. And in in the um, council, they used the word that we are to be Catholic. 
Now, this is that, that word bothers and confuses, but I think you need to understand what that word means. The word Catholic means universal. That's why I put that word up there. The word Catholic is the idea of, uh, of, of what we talked about earlier, the universal church. Uh, in fact, the word Catholic was not linked to just one denomination until just a, just a few hundred years ago. Uh, prior to that, it was a term that was used um, consistently talking about the church as a whole, the, the, the big C church that we mentioned earlier. And uh, so that is the idea. Therefore, what we need to be as a church is, a, is we, we should be Catholic, meaning that we should be universally focused. In other words, we shouldn't care just about our church, but we should care about church as a whole. And that means we should care about churches. Uh, all around us, we should care about. We, we should not be happy and gleeful when we hear a church is closing. We should not be uh, a great, just thrilled when we hear another church is having problems. No, because that affects us as a church. Because we are not just about First Baptist Church. We are about the the, the church, the universal church, and that should cause us to care about believers across languages and locations. We are bonded by the gospel. So we should be a church that is universal in nature. And then the last one, we should be apostolic. Now, now again, this may be confusing to some of you, so let me explain what this means. This is not a term that we use a lot today as well. But the idea of apostolic means that what we teach is founded on the scriptures that were given to us by the apostles. It's biblical. Let's see what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Built, talking about the church, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Uh, the idea of that is, is that our, essentially what that's saying is, is that our, uh, our, uh, we should be described as a church that's established based on the word of God teachings of the apostles, the teachings of Jesus Christ, and that is what should be descriptive of us. So we look at four descriptions of us. I want to look at next seven essentials of the church. Say, man, is this going to take you longer? No, we'll promise you it won't. What, what are essential parts that each church should have, and what is it that we should be doing? Um, so, seven things. First of all, believers only church membership. Believers only church membership. The Bible tells us that we should be um, faithful in, in our participation and, and attendance in church. And I always shy away from saying that because I don't want this to sound legalistic. Um, in, in Hebrews chapter 10... It says this, not neglecting to meet together. Um, again, I want to be very careful because a lot of times people, people come to church and, and it's as if we go and we check a mark off, yes, I accomplished that, I must be godly. Your attendance in church today doesn't make you more godly just by being. Okay. But what this passage is saying, and, and we see this throughout the New Testament, is that it's clear here from this passage that the growth of the individual is dependent on you being in church. 
And it's not only dependent on you being in church, but it's dependent on others being in church. And what's interesting about this passage, it is not saying that, oh, if I don't show up to church, I will not grow. No, what, notice what it's saying there is if I don't show up to church, I am helping others to grow. And so the same is the other way around. And, and so the, the importance of Scripture as we see is as when you come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, and, and you, you are saved, and you give your life to God, then as you come to church, you impact others, and you help them to grow. At least you should. It's an encouragement to others. This is not to say that you cannot study on your own or grow at home. In fact, you should do that as well. But growth is intended to happen together in the church. I think what has happened in in our culture today is church has become something people add to their life, like you add youth soccer and swim lessons. But God tells us to come together because it's how we grow. So as we come together then, the Bible tells us then we become a church. We become a called out assembly. And with that then... Scripture tells us something interesting. We looked at the passage back in Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 47. It says there, Praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so when we come to church, it is not um, just something we do, we come and we leave. No, the idea is we become part of something. There's a couple things I want you to notice from that verse. First of all, it says that, that... the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's why we stated that believers only church membership. That we believe as a church that it, in order for you to be a member of our church, you can attend our church as much as you possibly want. But in order to be a member of our church, you need to be a child of God. Because where it says there, they were added after being saved. There's an obvious order here of regeneration and then membership, not vice versa. But the second thing I want you to notice is it says there that the Lord added. This is the doing of the Lord. This is not, and so because it's the doing of the Lord, it's a, it's a privilege, not a right. And church membership is a privilege, not a right. And oftentimes, people in churches sometimes think, hey, I, I have a right. I have actually had people say this to me, and if, and if you're offended by this, I'm sorry, but I have people say this to me. They come up and they say, well, hey, I'm a church member, and so because I'm a church member, you should do this. Now, you know what? You might be right. That is something I should do. But what you are doing is you are, you are throwing at me, hey, I have rights. And what Scripture tells us is it's actually, membership is actually a privilege, and with that privilege, a responsibility that we have. We have a responsibility to obey the Lord consistently. We have a responsibility to serve God in the church. Those are responsibilities. So, we see that what is an essential of the church is it's a believers-only church membership. Secondly, it's a believers-only baptism. When we say the term believers-only baptism, there are some obvious implications. The first and and, uh, very important implication is that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Okay, and this point separates us from, from other churches, but uh, it is 
baptism is not necessary for salvation because it's, again, the order. You become a believer, you're saved, and then you are baptized. See, but there are many who believe that maybe that's not the case. If water baptism were necessary for salvation, then we would see Scripture differently. We would see it stressed whenever the Gospel is presented. We don't. That is not the case. Now, sometimes what causes confusion is sometimes some of the writers of Scripture uh, talk about saved and then baptized. And, and I'll mention that in a minute. But that does not mean that, that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. And, and let me give you just an example. Peter, in, you can turn there later if you want, but Peter in, in, in Acts chapter 2, he is preaching on the day of Pentecost. And in that preaching, he does talk about, uh, about being saved and baptized. There is the mention of baptism. But yet... In Acts chapter 3, the very next time we see Peter preaching, he is preaching in the temple, and in that he makes no reference at all to baptism. But instead what he does is he links forgiveness of sin to what? Repentance. If baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sin, then why didn't Peter say so? Because it's not. It's not uh, a necessary thing for salvation. In fact, another example of that is Paul. If you read Paul's writings, never did uh, Paul make water baptism a part of his gospel presentation. Now, he does talk about water baptism, but it's never in connection with his gospel presentation. Never. Perhaps the most convincing uh, argument against the view that baptism is necessary for salvation is those we see in Scripture who are saved apart from baptism. Let me just give you a few examples. We see in, in Luke chapter 7 uh, is the story where Jesus is sitting around. He's having a meal and, uh, with an very, very important people. And in walks this woman. She's a sinner. She's wicked. And she walks in and she comes up to Jesus. And you remember the story. And she begins to cry. And she begins to uh, wash Jesus' feet. And you know what Jesus' response to her is? Your sins are forgiven. He does not mention baptism. Another example is when, uh, when, when the lame man in Matthew chapter 9 was healed, Jesus said to him again, your sins are forgiven. And we see in, in uh, the story when Jesus was crucified, remember that? There was a thief on the cross and he turned to the thief and, and what did he say to the thief? The thief said, uh, you know, can you remember me? And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Guess what? That thief had no opportunity to get off that cross and get baptized and get back on. And yet, Jesus clearly said, today you will be with me in paradise. For that matter, there is no record uh, of the apostles being baptized. Yet, Jesus pronounced them clean of their sins in John chapter 15. We look at this phrase, believers only baptism. The implication is there that that as a church, we believe that you do not need to uh, be baptized in order to be saved. But the second implication, just quickly, is that baptism is not for the unsaved, whether they're adults, kids, teens, or infants. It is for those who are saved. It is, a, it is a sign. Now, you say, then why is there do we see the connection between salvation and baptism so much in Scripture? And I believe it's this. 
I believe what God is telling us is that you are saved and you are baptized. And the connection there is close because it's the idea of it's, baptism is a show. It's a, I shouldn't say a show. It's, it's a display uh, for those around you, for the world of, of your faith in Jesus Christ. The proclamation that I have, I am now a child of God. And so it's something that should be in a, a first sign of obedience. see that believers only church membership, believers only baptism. Thirdly, this is maybe a hard one for us to think through, but thirdly is church discipline. On occasion, Christians will wander away from the fellowship and, and wander away from obedience to God, and they will find themselves ensnared by sin, whether it's through ignorance or willful disobedience. And when that happens, it becomes necessary for the church to actively seek the repentance and restoration of that Christian. And one means of lovingly seeking the restoration of a wandering believer is the process of church discipline. What is church discipline? I'll just quickly go through this passage. If your brother sinned against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to you, tell it to the church. And if, and if he refuses to listen to, uh, listen to even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and as a tax collector. The purpose of church discipline is, to, is spiritual restoration of fallen members and, and strengthening of the church and the glorifying of God. See, God doesn't love sin that is allowed to persist. Later in Corinthians, Paul talks about the idea of church discipline. and It was, it was involved in a situation where there was individuals who were sinning consistently and yet still attending the church without repentance. The idea of, yes, I, I am doing this, and, and yes, it, it may be wrong, but I'm continue to do it anyway. The scripture is very clear that, the, that they are to be removed. It's not always an easy thing, but when a sinning believer is rebuked, and he turns from his sin and is forgiven, he is won back to fellowship, and, and, and the glory goes to God. The goal of church discipline, then, is not to throw people out of the church or to or to feed the self-righteous pride of those who administer the discipline. It is not to embarrass. It is not to exercise authority or power in an unbiblical way. The purpose is to restore a sinning believer to holiness and bring them back to a right relationship with God. As a church, this is a hard one, but it's one that we should be, uh, we should be faithfully administering as, 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 the, as the times come up. Church, what is essentials of the church? We see there those three. Fourth is a word-based ministry. What do I mean by that? The ministries of our church must be based on the teaching of the Word of God. And, and that reveals itself in a number of ways. First of all, the preaching should be expositional in nature. Um, uh, what what uh, I'm saying by that is we should be going through the Bible. And sometimes that takes the, 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 the way... like. Um, my Sunday school class that I'm in that uh, Mark taught this morning is we, we're going through First Peter and we go through verse by verse through the book. That's expositional teaching. 
uh, going through the Bible, and it's, it's not, uh, I appreciate it, it wasn't Mark getting up and saying, hey, I'm going to share my opinions on what I think, and then we'll share a verse. No, it was Mark going through and, and sharing from Scripture. Now, sometimes expositionally means that we, we take a, a topic that we see in Scripture and we talk about it. And we dive into it, and, and uh, we use Scripture to support that, and we see that, uh, and that's evidence in what we're doing in our church on Sunday night. I'll talk more about that later, but it's taking the Word and, and doing that. Our desire is to preach the Bible, not tradition, not opinion. We see Word-based ministry also playing itself out in how we run our programs. Um, at how we run our kids' programs, are, are, it's completely centered on the Word of God. How we run our teen program, our student ministries, is completely centered on the Word of God. It is not about uh, about entertainment. It's not about ha- you know trying to be buddy buddy. It's about hey, this is what the Word of God says, and it should be in every aspect of what we do. Next, letter E. The essential of the church is biblical leadership. The character and effectiveness of any church is directly related to the quality of its leadership. That's an intimidating thing for me. But that's why the Bible stresses the importance of quality church leaders and and delineates specific standards. And we don't have time to read those right now, but go through and look in in Timothy and, and Titus about the standards for evaluating those who should serve in the sacred position of leadership in this church. And failure to adhere to those standards has caused many problems in churches throughout our world. And that should sadden us. Now, biblically, the focal point of church leadership is the elder. Uh, the elder is, is seen in Scripture. We, we call it the pastors or the elders. It's, it's one or more uh, a biblically qualified men who, who shepherd and oversee the flock of God. It's a reference to a, a unique group of leaders who have the responsibility for overseeing the people. That is the elder or the pastor. The second leadership we see is, is deacons. first place we see deacons is in, is in Acts chapter 6, and, and we see that mentioned there. But deacons are, are to be qualified leaders as well. And we also see those in, in Timothy mentioned, what a, a deacon should look like, what a deacon should act like. However, deacons are to lead in different ways than, than the elders and the pastors. They're to lead by serving. Uh, their name uh, alone, deacon, means a servant. One who actually it means one who serves tables. The idea is one who who, who spends his life. I, and I am thankful for the way our deacons in this church serve in many ways. That some of them which you know, some of which you don't, but they serve. Many churches, deacons are only seen as the people in charge. And I want to remind us that biblically, the biblical model is service leading deacons following the leadership of the, of the pastor's elders. This is what Scripture tells us. The next essential in the church is, uh, is missions, evangelism, and discipleship. The early church was known for this. They were known for sending out missionaries. They were known for evangelizing. They were known for discipling. And we need to be known for that as well. A church that is pleasing God will be known as a church who does these three things consistently. 
I'm actually very excited that just in the next couple months we're going to have a number of missionaries in here uh, sharing, some you know, some you don't, sharing what God is doing in their ministry and in in different parts of the world, uh, from uh, over in Europe to to, um, Brazil to all, all over the world, and so I'm excited about that. We'll talk more about that one as we go along. Next, and the final one, essential to church is biblical theology. An obedient church will be serious about learning the theology or the teachings of Scripture. It's not enough just to have a surface understanding. It's not enough just to know the basics, but we need to be serious and diligent about the mission of, of learning the Word of God. And that is why we are teaching doctrine on Sunday nights. If you haven't been here on Sunday nights, I encourage you to do it. And I, I will make you a guarantee, in fact. If you come to church on Sunday night, you will learn something. I guarantee you that. Because as we go through the study of, uh, of doctrine, we are, we are diving into what does the Bible say. Tonight we're going to start, Pastor Nate's going to be doing it tonight, we're going to start talking about what is salvation. You say, well, I know salvation. I guarantee you if you come tonight, you'll learn something. Because there is so much packed into this Bible. And, and it is our responsibility as a church and as individuals to understand what Scripture has to say. And so, uh, you will learn something you did not previously know. You see, how, how can you guarantee that? I have studied this and studied this and studied this, and yet every, every Sunday night I learn something. Whether it's when I'm teaching or Pastor Nate's teaching, every single Sunday night I, I come out and go, wow, that was awesome. I learned something tonight. So we are to be about that. Finally, and then I'll, I'll close. We're, we're about done. This is the um, final point. What is the mission of the church? What are we going to be doing? And I'm not going to dwell on these long because these are ones that as we go through the study, we, will, we already have in some cases and we already will in some others. We'll open up and dive into more what this means as a church, what we should be doing. The first one is the Great Commission. We looked at that last week where Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have a responsibility to go until Jesus comes back, to go and take the gospel and, and teach and make disciples. Again, I dwelled on that last week. We'll talk more about that as we go along. But the second thing is the great commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We have a responsibility as a church. What is it? What is the mission of this church? The mission of this church is not to have larger attendance. The mission of this church is not to have cooler programs. The mission of this church is not to have better music. The mission of this church is the Great Commission and the Great Commandments, that we are to love God supremely. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we love God and as we love our neighbor, then we will be motivated to then tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, when asked, when, when unchurched people were asked different questions, one of the things they said was this, the church, in their opinion, the church has become more about its programs than loving God and loving people. I, I trust that not, would not be said about us. 
I trust that would not be said about you. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for the teaching of it. And I just pray, just help us to be a church that is obedient to you. Lord, even as we looked at this this topic today, I pray that you help us to um, assess our own church and then for each individual person here to assess their part in this church and what are they doing to help promote the church uh, for your glory. We ask this in Christ's name.